0: Hello you, how you doing, hope you're doing well, welcome back to the show, yes it's beyond the studio, yes it's a very relaxed sounding Paul Nolan, your host, as you know this is the podcast that is here to help you become the best artist you can be, by becoming the best version of yourself, isn't that a good thing? So I'm so relaxed today because, well I've just had a wicked conversation with today's guest and his name is Rashi the Jami, and he has released on a number of amazing labels, including Get Physical, Ministry of Sound, and Unity et cetera. And, well, you know, as I say at the beginning of this conversation, I'd like to take a bit of credit because we had him first years ago on Chapter 24, so it shows how ahead of the curve we are. Honestly, this is just a mind-blowing conversation, and it was a real testament to... Sitting down and spending quality time with someone that we never really got chance to when we worked together on the chapter 24 release and we DJ'd a chapter 24 party together some years ago and in the confines of a DJ booth and a nightclub it's kind of hard to kind of really get a measure of someone but it was really lovely to take that time today, really sit and really get to know Rasheed properly and this conversation just opened up beautifully like all those great conversations do when you end up really putting the world to right with somebody who you've met that you really connect with or you know you're catching up with a long lost friend and that's exactly how it felt today and there is so much gold to take from this podcast this episode of beyond the studio because rashid's had an interesting journey as you know i like to interview people who have had interesting journeys and you know he's flitted from the world of entrepreneurship and tech startups and stuff back now full-time into into djing and production and you know he's taken a lot of what he learned in that world and then applied it back to djing and and dance music so it's a really interesting listen you know there's some amazing little nuggets in there about problems are actually compliments and disguise and signifiers that you are on the right track and there's you know a bit of deep sort of metaphysical spiritual talk and talk about the nature of art and, you know, looking at dance music as art as well as, you know, really interesting insights into Rashid's production workflow and what he's using, his deep love of logic and omnisphere and all that good stuff. So you'll hear that in the course of the next hour and forty five minutes or so. I love doing this podcast. I'm gonna be honest with you, it's become one of my favourite things to do and being able to take time to really sit down and get to know people who I respect peers and hopefully you can take some from it too just doesn't get any better than this people so thank you very much for your ears and your attention and I'm going to hand it over now to my conversation with Rashid Ajami see you on the other side Hello Mr Rashid Ajami it has been a minute or two since we last spoke hasn't it mate?
1: In a long time, it's good to be with you.
0: Indeed, mate. Indeed, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to reconnect with you because uh, for those who are maybe, you know, followers of, of Rashid and what he's getting up to now and the amazing labels he's starting to put stuff out on, you know, uh, I, I, I take credit for the fact that we had him first on Chapter 24 many, many years ago.
1: 100%. And it's one of the only remixes I've ever done, funny enough. Yeah. I saw a few remixes and I really enjoyed that one. It was great.
0: Oh, totally, yeah, and if memory serves me correctly, the pair of us actually played together at one of our parties. I think it was our second-ever party, something like that, in, like, 2014, 2015, something like that. Good
1: times, yeah, I remember.
0: Yeah, I was rowdy that night in the Star of Kings, right, in King's Cross.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. That was a great night.
0: Oh, dude, like, I, I loved that place because it was just such a sweat pit with, like, you know, low ceilings, a roughly kind of compromised sound system, but nobody fucking cared. Do you know what I mean?
1: Honestly, the vibe was amazing. People were grooving. Like it's a, it's a great venue.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, they're the type of parties that make me hanker for it all coming back, hopefully soon. Right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Is it still yeah. open that place, or it's?
0: I'm not sure to be honest with you. I mean, I've uh, obviously I've not been to London in such a long time with everything going on and. You know, we, um, I'm not sure whether you know this, but we actually, we brought the label to a close in December. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. We decided to kind of, uh, you know, close, close the book because we had no more chapters to write. If you want me to run that analogy into the ground, like...
1: Well, that's cool in a way to have a label that tells a story, which you were doing and the way you were putting out the music. It really felt very genuine and real, the story side. And, you know, it comes to a close and then there's something new, a new project
0: Mm. I oh, like absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that whole thing was we always kind of wanted to leave people wanting more to an extent, yeah. and we never felt the need to be like you know because we've I've seen labels do this where like they have a hot patch and this is no disrespect to anyone but you know you get into like a hundred, two hundred releases and it's like okay like this thing could have been put out of its mis- like a TV show that went on like three seasons too long. Do you know what I mean? Well,
1: Remember this, the show lost?
0: <laughs> so oh, I- oh my god! Like I, 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 lost interest after season one, and afterwards, from what I'd heard, I was, I felt like it was a wise decision because that was going to be eight years of my life. I was never going to get back. Do you know what I mean?
1: Very good decision. Really, <laughs> <I wish laughs> eight years of my life.
0: Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you took the pain, so I didn't have to, mate. Yeah. I'm very, very clear, very happy with that. Do you know what I mean? But it's, it's like we, I, I mean, again, to use that analogy, I always love like art and television shows that service story first and foremost which means you know like in the wire for example like you know when certain characters were killed off even though they were favorites or like the red wedding in like game of thrones it's like story first and if you've got nothing else to say then don't say anything you know and we just felt like we'd we told all the stories that we wanted to tell and we wanted to leave people wanting more and and part of the reaction of closing the label was really interesting because there were loads of people like emailing us going, Oh, I'm devastated. Like, you know, love, obviously loved what you were doing and everything else. And and me and Sam and Marcus were like, yeah, got him, got him. Like, that's what we wanted. Like, you know, and that, that's the thing, man. Sometimes you've got to make these things scarce. I think a certain amount of scarcity in the world is, is a good thing on some cases.
1: Completely in our industry. I mean, that's one thing for sure is how you create a product or something that, people take the time they appreciate it because it's scarce it's not like in you know it's it's how you really fully appreciate it. that's why i like the fact that vinyls coming back to some
0: degree mm. it's
1: like when i go to a vinyl shop i can actually enjoy listening to the track do i want to buy this listen to the whole thing it's it's i like that experience so i completely agree with you
0: oh totally yeah and it's interesting because i actually had an actual pint of beer outside with another human being the other day for the first time in a long time. It was a novel experience, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was quite interesting because it was with a friend of mine and he works for one of the big pressing houses. And I said to him, like, what's the last year been like? He went, dude, I've been working 18 hours a day. Like, like vinyl has just been flying out. In fact, we've been having, like, production problems because of the pandemic, because we can't get enough vinyl out to people.
1: Yeah, it's coming back in a In a massive way. Hmm. Which I love. I think it's a, it's a really beautiful way to, to listen to music, and it slows people down, and mm. actually gets them to listen to, to, to the you know to the piece fully.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, I'm I'm also I'm I'm kind of committing the cardinal sin at the moment because I'm actually thinning down my vinyl collection because I'm looking to move at some point, and it's a very difficult exercise because like my upbringing was in record shops. Like, I was hanging around record shops. Like, I was selling vinyl to, like, Yousef in, like, 1995 when I was on my, like, work experience from high school. And, like, it's always been part of my my sort of, like, it's running through my veins, basically. Uh, So it's been hard because I've got so much stuff from owning record stores, from working in them. I've got so much stuff I'm so sentimentally attached to as well. And I think, you know, obviously you could go on and everyone has gone on ad nauseum about, the last year and everything. To the point where, quite frankly, I'm a little bit bored of it now. (laughs) And it's like everybody kind of knows what's gone on. But one of the beautiful things, like you were saying, it's given people a chance to slow down a little bit. And I think that's probably part of the key as to why vinyl has kind of continued to escalate in sales. I had um, the European Artist Relations rep for Bandcamp on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he said something mind-blowing. Bandcamp sold half a million cassette tapes last year.
1: Wow! Wow!
0: Even so it's that- not. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, so people are just looking for, and it's funny because when you think about like you know the whole thing that's happening in crypto at the moment with like NFTs and stuff like that as well, there seems to be this renewed interest in things that are not infinite because therefore they carry value and they can carry more than just monetary value. They can carry sentimental value as well.
1: Completely, completely, and I, I think the-, the NFT things. Are- a great example of that it's how you create more how do you actually create a unique product in the digital space mm-hmm. where it feels a little bit more limited or you know especially from the music side it's 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 very i'm, I'm looking at that a lot actually at the moment because it's a very interesting space
0: Yeah, yeah, we had um, Bjorn uh, from a music streaming platform called Rocky, which is going to be like crypto backed. And also, he's done, he did one of the first music NFTs with Guy J a while back. And that went really, really well. So I think it's all very early stage, very Wild West with all of this stuff which means it's as exciting as it is potentially kind of problematic in some ways. Yeah. But I do see enough potential in it that long term. I think we're going to be able to iron out these issues and it's going to become something really, really viable in the next sort of two to three years.
1: Definitely. 100% I agree. Yeah. It's, 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 it's What's cool, it's like a new mechanism to distribute, you know, whether it's art, music, or blending visual art with music, it creates this whole new medium that one can explore and utilize, which is it's refreshing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting from the fact that, you know, we now have something kind of viable now yeah. to look at and say, actually, like, and again, this is one of the things we've been teaching on the platform is, like, really being sovereign and being really, like, in ownership of your entire path from revenue streams to music sales, merchandise sales, then obviously extending to NFTs and stuff like that as well. And I think that's going to be part of the big revolution because, you know, even today, it's like, you know, you look at the the big news with Spotify today, it's like they don't have enough money, or Daniel Ek doesn't have enough money to pay an artist properly, but apparently he's got £3 billion to buy Arsenal Football Club. Insane like it, there's something deeply wrong at that stage and I think this is part of maybe a wider correction of the entire industry in a way
1: completely and it, that, it's funny because you know when I I never used to think about the financial side of putting out music and I, you know I've always been a producer first like I started as a producer before DJing or doing any live performances so I've had long stretches where really I'm only just producing and putting out music and it was always frustrating in a way that like making money from it, you know, is like a write-off. It's just purely something I do for my own artistic, you know, creativity for fun. I never think about it in a viable biz- business, yeah, you know, as as a viable business, unless you're doing the live side, which you know this year has shown us that the live side can come to a halt. So when it does come to a halt, how can you be a full-time artist and actually live off of that, create mm. music? Best how you make that music, do the you know get the best artwork, get the you know whatever it might be, and actually make money from it. It's it's it is crazy kind of how the industry is a bit flawed in that way. But this could definitely be an interesting correction that allows people to monetize.
0: Mm. And it's interesting to take it from your sort of standpoint because you know as you mentioned before we went on air that. We started recording that. You know, you've kind of you're coming back to the music industry full time because you've got a background in entrepreneurship. So it must be quite interesting, like sort of re-engaging with the dance music industry at this time, having had a lot of experience on the more entrepreneurial sort of tech side of things as well.
1: Hundred percent, and it's it's. I, I mean, I had a lot of regrets when I stopped. what slowed down on the music. I mean now i had i have a lot of regrets because I, w- I had such momentum at the time in the music industry and i kind of just fell into just doing this technology company and i was so busy trying to work out how to do that and run a business and you know startups they consume so much of your time so it, you know it really put a halt to that momentum that i had with the music and after a few years i realized. My real passion still lies with making music, creating music, creating art—not just music, but how do you blend all sorts of kind of forms of art together? You know, whether it's film, music, installations, gallery works, NFTs. It's—it's um, it's really that's where my proper passion lies. So, coming back to it now full time, it's definitely interesting to see how how does one if you don't just DJ and rely on live, how do you create a sustainable, you know, brand industry, you know, whatever it might be. That's, that's yeah. something out It's very interesting. And it, I don't think there's an answer yet, but, um, I can feel for people that are like pure artists because it's not, it's not easy in that, to, to, to find that.
0: Yeah, totally. And I, I kind of, count myself as being extremely fortunate that I've had like other skills over the years like teaching like being able to build a platform like this like this has been the thing that's really sustained me and got me to get up in the morning quite frankly you know over the last year or so because like I've been quite honest with like people listening to this podcast and with guests that I'm I'm in that camp now where you know I'm not really that interested in like touring anymore because I've kind of lived that life and I feel like I've kind of you know been there done that and kind of got the t-shirt at my age now and I'm interested in other things like I'm interested in helping people I'm interested in you know being of service and helping people grow as well as you know taking my music in slightly different directions so it's been really interesting to see like, like you were saying like now having all of these things open up to be able to actually earn a good living without having to feel the need to be, you know, having to get on a plane or be in a nightclub at three, four, five o'clock in the morning when you actually, like, don't want to. I think a lot of artists, and this sort of plays into, like, you know, the mental health thing as well. I think a lot of artists have been forced into that because it was the only sustainable way to make a living. And Mm -hmm. nowadays, like, I think it's going to be much healthier because I've spoken to a lot of artists. I've had Josh Butler on the podcast recently. You know, Patrice was on a while ago, uh, Patrice Baumel. And, you know, we've all been talking about how when it starts to kind of normalize again, like how we're going to all be approaching this in like very different, much more balanced ways. Because it's, you know, from you, from your sort of entrepreneurial background, like finding that balance, like you said, is is very, very difficult to nigh on impossible.
1: Yeah, Completely. And it's funny because for me, I I have a lot of energy to go and maybe do that touring and DJ because I haven't done it so much. You know, I, I got into the production side, started to get a few gigs, you know, it was great, but I didn't, I didn't have the full blown touring experience. So mm-hmm. I am all for that. And I, I am interested in doing that. And I definitely have a passion for the live side. But I can fully understand that it, it, is, it is frustrating. As a music producer when you have to dedicate a lot of time to being in the studio and really crafting out like good music takes time when that's not a you know and you can't and then you can't really monetize that fully i mean i make a joke in terms of when i do contracts with record labels i have a music lawyer that helps out and i tell him like i'm paying you more than i'm gonna make just to look at the contract i'm gonna make from 10 years of this release going out i mean if they take 20% 50% it doesn't really matter in the end because there's so little money even if it's a hit even if it's a big track i'm not going to make a living from sales sales of music but the sales of music is just you know the music coming out is a way to establish yourself to then go and you know do an nft or get live performances or as you as you've done build a really you know interesting brand of a podcast different things teaching helping people so I've always seen the music almost like the gate that opens up the other opportunities.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally right. Absolutely. Because, again, the model is just so different now compared to, you know, what it was sort of like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something like that, where, you know, an artist would make an album or a series of releases and then go off and tour that and then get back in the studio to do that but then the the physical sales and the underpinnings of it would, you know provide at least a sustainable living at that point so again like the, the game is so different but again it feels like because of the pressure of the last year we're about to undergo another very exciting revolution where all of a sudden like the main thing that i felt with the whole nft thing was like i feel like huge possibility and excitement and potential from this space it's definitely like as we mentioned before not perfect but there's something there and there's something there that's worth exploring and something that you know a lot of people are doing quite well with already you know so yeah it's super cool so what what triggered the sort of move back into making music full time and you know was it like just you couldn't stay away from it or you know just tell me what it was
1: Yeah, I I started, you know, I'd taken a long time off where I just wasn't making music. And then, you know, last year, I just started to slowly get back into it and immediately just felt that enjoyment of putting tracks together. I mean, for me, the happiest moment in my life is that moment I'm in the studio and something just comes together in the right way. And I feel I have something special that I feel and I have this feeling from it. It's just the greatest experience for me so I realized you know it's really what I love I've done a lot of reflecting over the last years in terms of what's important and yes making money is important like building a business is important to some degree but really doing what you love is the most important thing and it's where like true happiness comes from so for me I felt the music is where that lies and I just felt the need to kind of transition back into it
0: yeah yeah wicked well you know what mate you've been uh, you've been sorely missed as far as I'm concerned and it's it's yeah. great to see you back in the pocket and it's just yeah. so refreshing to hear like somebody say that because I think a lot of artists again because of that need to kind of like earn that sustainable living and the pressure that comes we tend to like i don't know how to put it we sort of put the cart before the horse a little bit and we start to get into a frame of mind of like well I'm going to make this track because it's going to get me on this label and yeah. when I'm on this label, I'm going to get here and I'm going to be able to make money and then I'm going to be happy. Whereas yourself, you've just, as you've just said, it's like you're doing it because you fucking love it and that's it. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, it's, it's just, and because I've been lucky that in my early days, I managed somehow to get onto some good labels. You know, I've had it, like, I've, I've been on some great labels in the past and I know what that experience is like. To me, that's never been the exciting bit because it's actually as much as being on great labels is important. It doesn't make you like instantly famous. It doesn't blow your music up whatsoever. I mean, you know, all the good labels I've been on them, it's it's about consistency and like putting out great music consistently and being in the scene consistently and growing. You know, there's no such thing as the one off. Okay, a few people have that where they have like a one off hit and they blow up, but it's so rare for that to happen. So. To me, I'm at a point now where even if I have a release getting signed to a great label, I'm happy. I'm grateful for it, for sure, because it's a great way to get exposure. But really, the, the happiness for me is now coming from when I'm in the studio and and I feel the track coming together in the way that I want it to come together. And it starts to give me that like feeling of just. You know if it's a sexy track i feel it if it's an emotional track i feel it that's the point where I'm, at, I'm actually at my happiest and then i let it go into the world and and see what happens
0: yeah yeah that's such a healthy lovely attitude to have towards it you know where i think you know we, we all we all make this mistake of sometimes placing too much emphasis and too much meaning and too much value and expectation on like a single thing, like I remember like a couple of years ago I had a release on Bedrock, and even me in my position with all my miles on on the clock because I'd predominantly done it engineering for other artists. Like it was it was it was a big moment for me to see that on like because I've got like talking about vinyl, I've got Bedrock Heaven Sent the original white label promo on vinyl, yeah. like that's how far back I go with Bedrock. So to have my name be seen on that release was a massive moment for me. And even I, like with all my experience, went, right, here we go. And it's like, I'm waiting for my life to change. And it's like, oh, you know, and we all, we're all we all culpable of that. Do you know what I mean? It's like I listen to a lot of like podcasts with sports people and people who have done great things and won like Olympic gold medals. And it's like, I remember Bradley Wiggins saying like, I won the Tour de France and I came home and like, I still had to kind of like put my, put my trash out and it's still have to like, you know, go to Tesco's and like, you know, wipe me kids' asses and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like my me life just didn't change because I won a bike race, you know?
1: You know, it's so funny. It's I've experienced that time and time again and it's so true. And it's because of that, that my attitude changed. Now I'm more mature, I guess. And, you know, I've, I've reached that point where you, you realize, you know, a good, a good label is signing the record is a great sanity check that you have a well-produced track it's compositionally good that's original you know to whatever degree not always original but that you know it's something that you don't just love it it's something that you know works for other people potentially so it's it's a really good like it's another milestone i like because it means you know what you've made is solid and people like it but definitely the for me, like now, it's about actually achieving my own goals in the studio, and it's me against me in that in that sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like where I'm going,
1: what label I'm going to be on. Like, can I make a track that has this level of soul to it and feels like this special and gives me that feeling? And if it does, and I hope, then other people will experience that same thing. You know, that like the same kind of stuff that I like.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you've got to give yourself time and space to be able to develop that sound right and figure out what your voice actually is through you know just wild experimentation like you know one of my favorite techniques on that is like I'll have a day where I'm not writing music in the studio at all I'm just I've always said this like I'm having a competition with myself to make the weirdest noise and I love those sessions because I can just get yeah. lost for hours in programming synths and weird plugins and you know that kind of thing. I'm doing that a lot recently because I bought a, a Virus TI Polar. Managed to pick one up with a very very good price tag, and I'm just having a ball with that thing because it can just do the most ungodly things. So it's uh, it's 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 amazing to have that, and you know I think the thing you're getting at is you mentioned like the word signposts. I think we get confused and think that there's some sort of like final destination when actually there's only the process and that's, that's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Literally. And once I, I, once someone can truly enjoy the process with the positives of the process, the negatives of the process, the problems that come with the process, and you take it all as this enjoyable journey, then it that's when I feel one is at their most powerful in terms of what they can do and the creativity and just the ability to really, really do the best work possible. I mean, when I was younger and producing, I would like rush a lot because I just felt, oh, I want to finish this. I want to send it to a label. And I want to get it done. And it wasn't fun. It wasn't a fun process. I felt, I felt anxious in a process like, oh, this sounds really good, but can I really get it to be you know what it should be and you know there's negativity to that now i just that's gone it's just this really patient flowing process of love it. coming to a final product and then and i i actually believe when you produce music for me at least i have to kind of produce quite quickly because there's a point where i lose my like objectivity of the track if i get too sick of the sounds too quickly and i'm on like like i can so there's like a I try to get the main composition done quite quickly, and then from there, like I take much more time on refining it to the end product. So the first eighty percent of the track, for me, comes really quick.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like it's just I kind of know what I want to happen, and I I know my instruments well enough to just get to that eighty percent. And then at the eighty percent, I take a breather, and then finalize that last twenty percent.
0: Mm. Yeah, so, definitely. How,
1: how other people work, but. It's always been like that for me.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that because it's, you know, even in sort of the education space, there's a lot of that of like, you know, get this done as quickly as possible. And, you know, here's like 50 workflow hacks to, you know, help you finish your tracks in like, you know, half the amount of time and all this kind of stuff. And it, and it's an interesting thing because it's like, you know, that's kind of anathema to the creative process in a lot of ways because it's like as you say it's like it's good to get to a point where it's like okay i've got something here that i know is going to become a like a work of art but yeah. the the details of really taking it to the 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 ultimate potential that takes time it's like you know they always say about marathon running isn't it it's not the 26 miles that kills you it's the point two at the end
1: yeah C- completely and I, that's where i've seen so many talented producers like just my friends and people who make music have come across it, they just don't finish tracks. They just, they have all these st- tracks that are like kind of 80% there. They've done that 80% of the like the composition of, you know, here are the sounds, this is what it, was, what it kind of feels like, sounds like, but they just don't finish them. And that's why I think that's like the phase one is so important of just composing from scratch, coming up with an idea and then you have that idea and then you have that really, Final important bit of the twenty percent, where you slow down and you take that thing all the way to like a really polished mix, good mm-hmm. arrangement, little sounds here and there, or whatever it might be. Like Retracts, adds. You're just getting to that final balance where the you know the the final product is something that I can listen to ten times on repeat, and every time I'm just like, okay, this is great. It's it's mm-hmm. there. Yeah, um, it, it feels right.
0: That's the best feeling of all, isn't it? You know, when you think, I could sit here and listen to this all day and it's your own track, which sounds awfully egotistical to say, but it's actually the truth.
1: It's the best feeling because it's like, it's kind of rare, as you know, like, you know, when you produce almost, you always, I, I like, for me, I always still feel my tracks are, like, not as good as other people's tracks, you know, and, like, even from a production
0: standpoint. It's not that other people- irrelevant, though, isn't it, really, when you think about it?
1: It's a thing, like it's a self-critique thing. where always with our own stuff. We kind of we finish it and we push it away a little bit, you know. You like that's what I do. But when you have that track that you're like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling this, and like it gives me that feeling every time. And it's your own track. Mm. Those ones always do the best.
0: Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's 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 funny, like because um, you know, we we do these like sort of group feedback sessions, like on the on the platform, where like the whole community comes together, and it's honestly like it's it's just joyous. So we, yep. we've had this with one of our members recently, and he's the guy's so unbelievably talented, and it's so funny because like he kept he kept on bringing like new versions of this track, and he was like, right, I'm I i do not know where I'm up to here, and like everybody in the comments is like, oh my god, this thing's unbelievable, can't believe it, sounds amazing, this has got a massive label written all over it, and I'm just sat there going, I want more, I want more, <laughs> this has got another level in it, and then he'd come back the next week and say, listen to this, and I go. Good, amazing, Uh, more please. And I just kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him till last week he puts the final version in and it just absolutely, like it just rocked everybody off the seats. like And it's like, okay, now it's ready. So that's like a testament to what you're talking about, about that last 20% and being patient and not like robbing yourself of the opportunity. Because I think that's where a lot of artists go wrong, right? They really rob themselves of the opportunity to really refine. It's a bit like writing a book, right? You know, it'd be like putting the first draft of a book into a publisher. Exactly. You know, rather than going through that refinement editing process, you know, sculpting it, bringing it down to what it absolutely needs to be, cutting the fat out of it, all that kind of thing. I think that's also one of the reasons why, like, you know, with all due respect to a lot of artists, like to me now, I think like the vast majority of dance music I hear is kind of a bit lifeless. And I think that's why, because we're so focused on like, I'm doing, I'm doing these steps very robotically in the same order, yeah. and like that's a bit like, how can I put it? It's a bit like what, you're you're a baker, but you're working in Greg's and not in a restaurant.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because, <laughs> it's exactly what I'm experiencing at the moment as I start to like, explore music. I made it like a, thing now where you know, as part of going back to DJing, I'm starting to explore a lot of music and listen to like music on Beatport and Soundplan or whatever, and I'm trying to take a process of really only choosing music that really makes me feel something. And I'm hearing so many tracks on like really top labels where they're cool, I get it, they're okay, but they just, they feel lifeless. They're they're just lacking anything that's really wow. Like I can see that if I played it on a dance floor, yes, people will dance, but it's not a track to remember. So, you know, I I feel like a successful thing is when you put a track out and you you can't forget it, like Peshanga Boy's Time. Like, it's just, you just can't forget that track. It's just every time I listen to it, it's just, it it transports you somewhere. It has this feeling of nostalgia in it. It's just so well emotionally fueled and it's, I can't explain why it's like that, but Mm. for whatever reason, it makes you feel something, and and so much music is lacking that I'm, I'm, from what I'm seeing and hearing at the moment.
0: Yeah, totally, and it's it's interesting because it makes you wonder. Well, what is that thing? What is that element? And why do some artists seem to have it in droves, and others seem to, you know, only kind of glimpse it ever so slightly? And it's it's an interesting thing because you know, for me, I think there's a there's a certain level of like presence in the moment that needs to happen. Like at the moment of creation, where you know one of the things I've I've been talking about a lot recently, and and actually like I've been um I've been taking lessons in like classical music theory because I'm really interested in like I'm kind of like in transition myself more towards doing more film and television stuff and film music and stuff so. You know, I've been working with this guy and he's, he's amazing. He's got absolutely no understanding of electronic music at all, which is so refreshing to me because he's like, you know, I'm like, ah, Sasha and Digweed. And he's like, ah, Bartok and Liszt and, you know, that kind of thing. Like, basically, like, you know, um, Bach and, like, Tchaikovsky's like his Sasha and Digweed, basically. Do you know what I mean? And he actually said, he's, he summed it up perfectly. He said, you know, when it comes to things like, say, harmony and chord progressions and stuff, he said, like, you want to learn as much about it as possible and then you want to forget it all instantly yeah and it's so true because like you want to learn it to a point where it becomes so automatic that you don't think about it anymore and it just becomes almost like an instinct an instinctive thing and i think a lot of artists are at various stages of their development and it's all cool and it's all good but that's where you get that very sort of like rote by the numbers paint by numbers kind of music because there's not really that sort of level of, like, mastery going on or that level of, like, real deep, almost, like, spiritual sort of, like, awareness going on at the moment of creation. And I think that's what really separates, like, you know, the really amazing, the great artists from the, what what called called the artisans, which are the people who can basically just knock something out for you, like, almost on demand.
1: Yeah, you know it's hundred. It's funny that you say spiritual awareness because I completely agree with that. It's like almost that you're like getting it out of the way of yourself in that moment, and it's just like a happening mm-hmm. of creativity. It, it, that's I've always had that with all the kind of tracks that have the most feeling that I've produced. There's like a twenty-minute, thirty-minute period, or whatever it is, where it's just like happens, and it just. The sounds might change and you know, there's tweaking and stuff, but just the general few layers that make the heart of the track just come out. Mm-hmm. And it just comes out immediately. It's not like a four hour, five hour, six hour process of just trying a bunch of melodies. It really just comes really quickly. And then that refinement occurs after. So I really believe in that. Like it's, it's almost those moments where it just kind of, it happens. Mm
0: absolutely do you think environment matters in this kind of thing where the space or the location not just like say for example where your studio is or like the makeup of your studio that obviously matters but like geographically like where you find yourself in the world like does the physical like reality of like where you make music do you think that has like a a, an effect on it as well
1: for me personally it's not so much where I've been, but it's more how I feel when I produce it's more of it's a, like I, you know I, like the lockdown a lot of people in the lockdown in London were kind of like oh it's a depressing time it's not nothing's happening and you know there are many days where I did feel frustrated and so I just wouldn't make music I'll just go for a walk I'll just take take a breather but when I find myself in that place of just feeling open and positive that's what like kind of allows me to create good music And I could be in L.A. and the sun is shining and it's like paradise, but I'm not making my best music. You know, it's just it. it, So I've not had that where it's kind of linked to where I am. And, you know, I've had inspiration from certain locations for sure, but it's for me, it's feeling based. Everything Mm -hmm. comes from a. It's a feeling-based process. And even as you're saying, you know, like forgetting how to actually like, you know, forgetting the technicality of the, comp- the composing, I've like totally forgot that. So, you know, I, I, it's all, when I'm playing a keyboard, it's really feeling-based. I'm not thinking about what's the scale and what's like the notes. I'm not even good with that. It just all comes from like a feeling and a knowing of like where to kind of take it. And that's what gives me the heart of the track every mm-hmm. time.
0: Yeah, amazing. Amazing. I mean, I've got to admit, it's 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 definitely been that way for me. Like my my feeling has been like I've always been a little bit of a product of my environment in a weird way. Because I have moved around the world quite a bit like yourself. Like we were talking before we started recording that. You also used to live in LA, also very curiously in exactly the same sort of area yeah. than that I that I lived in as well. And it, it was remarkable to me because like it was the first time I'd I'd worked properly. In like a real studio when I worked with Sasha like five or so years ago when we did "See and Delete" together, and we did it in the the village in L.A. where you know Smashing Pumpkins did "Melancholy" in that studio and Fleetwood Mac and all these legends. Like regular listeners of this podcast are probably bored of me hearing these stories now about me telling them, but it was just you you couldn't not make amazing music in that space because it just. It, the creativity just dripped from the walls. Like, it was almost like, you know, the way it rains sweat on a dance floor in a really good club. It was like, it was just raining inspiration from every surface. And you couldn't not do your best work in a place like that. I totally I
1: feel, you, that. The yeah. energy of the place just...
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for me, it's like sometimes like when I go through a bit of a dry spell, I find, and that, that's that been one of the more interesting aspects of the last year was like, if I've found a little, myself a little bit low on inspiration, I'd just pack myself off to like Ibiza or, you know, like Lisbon for a week and take my headphones and my laptop with me and then I would just be in a completely different zone, completely different place. Um, but again, having to actually work through that frustration because that you know ability to move to a different location wasn't available, I think is almost as rewarding as being able to move, if you get what I mean. Because again, it's like it's changing your environment in order to get that feeling that you were talking about as well.
1: Yeah, totally. So that's the thing. Like when stuck in a lockdown, it's almost like you have to, you can't change the environment. So you almost have to just... Adapt the way you feel and get past those kind of days where you just don't want to like mm. hear anything and don't want to make any music and kind of push. Like for me, it would be like going to Hyde Park, just walking around the park, having a coffee, like just letting go a little bit, and then feeling that pocket of inspiration come back. And then I'm onto my keyboard. And I'm like, I'm on. I'm on. I'm onto a session. It's like in allowing that to 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 power it and to fuel it, basically.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a cool one. It's really, really nice though. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because the, the thing that kind of got me through those set, set parts was, or uh, those frustrating moments it was something one of my yoga teachers said to me a long time ago, which was like, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah. And it's like just Definitely. trying to create that little internal shift of state in yourself can produce unbelievable results because that's kind of like... a. Uh, A lever that you can pull in your brain that's like it takes very little energy, but the effect that you get from it is massive. It's like the 80 20 thing, right? It's like 80% of your results come from 20% of your actions.
1: Yeah, Yeah, totally agree with that. And it's something that, I mean, just beyond in, I mean, I had that even when I was doing my business. Like, I think for any kind of work or creativity or anything, like most people are constantly trying to change the environment their outside world to feel better on the inside but ultimately they just want to feel better on the inside but they're trying to manipulate the outside world which is always changing it's unpredictable it's never gonna be exactly how you want it like no matter who you are you can't control like the outside world to that degree so when you start to actually just internally no matter what's happening, try and be in a that positive state and see things differently, see things positively. It's really a, a dramatic transformation. Mm. It's 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 massive. And actually, funny enough, in Los Angeles is when I really realized that. It was like walking around, and I spent a lot of time just like walking around the Venice area. And you know, it's like, you can just, you see so much happening, There's so much craziness everywhere. It's a madhouse, isn't
0: it? It's a madhouse. Yeah. You see like
1: realities of people that I just you know, when you grow up in London, you don't see it. you know the the, the the broad spectrum of like life on this planet. And that to me was really rewarding in terms of just kind of being appreciative for everything and just it's like a humbling thing to see yeah. that, you know what I mean? like it's and and that spurs creativity, I feel and and just makes you more relaxed and more positive no matter what happens.
0: Hugely, it's a real melting pot there, and I felt the same way. And even like going back there last year,. Um, for NAM and like doing some work with DB Audio, it like I'd, I'd not been back in like three years because I did my like my two years there and then I moved back to Europe and it was the first time I'd been back there and I literally just went, Oh God, now I remember why I fucking love this place so much because yeah. there's just no other place like it in terms of the movement, the, the weather, the there's just like a you know, like the way Ibiza has a vibe. Right. Yeah. It's a totally different vibe to L.A., but L.A.'s just got That's something perfect. that is very hard to put your finger on. And it was quite a privilege being there at that time because about 2015 to 2017 is when the dance scene there just blew up. And I mean, like, the good dance scene. Like, and it was just everywhere. You know, Lee was playing there all the time, all day I dream. There was amazing parties on almost every weekend. And it was just this absolute, you know, Absolute, just as I say, like this melting pot of like different styles of music, different people coming in and out all the time, and it was, it was a special time to be there. It really was. It's it's something I would, uh, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget. Like I still have a little part of me that still wants to move back there. To be honest with you, at some stage.
1: I know what you mean. I feel the same. It's it's a great place to be. Definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's as challenging in some ways as it is amazing because. After two years there, like it did it did burn me out a little bit if I'm being honest. Cause it's it's like it's non stop. Like it's absolutely nonstop. I mean, people think London is a twenty four hour city. People think New York's a twenty four hour city. It's like, no no. LA's a twenty four hour city. LA's like, a twenty four hour city, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that it's an eight days a week city, basically. <laughs> yeah in a lot of different ways, so yeah I mean so what was like, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get into more geeky territory of like you know what your production set up and, and what your workflows like and stuff like obviously you as we mentioned before, like coming back into the on you know into dance music from entrepreneurship and having a company and stuff was there anything that you learned from that time coming back into dance music that you've applied? now like any sort of transferable skills or any sort of insights that have been useful for you
1: definitely i think be juggling like when you have a business and you're juggling all the kind of different sides to it like you have the illegal side your financial side like you have you know dealing with like hr you get used to being bombarded with problems and then your relationship to problems kind of changes to Mm. to that like a problem is just an opportunity to just take one step forward. Because really, if you're not having a problem, it means you're not progressing. Like really, like progress. progression in anything is just a set of problems. And you kind of go through them and end up with something, you know. And that change in terms of not freaking out every time anything negative happens, which is where I started with my business. Like, you know, like everything was a worry. And like, I was just, just like anxious lunatic all the time so like just chilling out over the years to be like oh cool okay we have this problem to deal with we'll deal with it and we'll see what happens taking that into making music and producing music and the business side of music like which can be very slow for example you know you send a demo and you get like a response from some like amazing famous dj and you're like i want to sign this and then you know you don't hear from them for three months and you're waiting when I was younger, that would, like, that, that would kill me. I'd just be like, oh, I want to know. Like, you know. Am I getting signed to this label? Is it going to happen? Like, Now I just don't even think about it. I'm just, just it's I've relaxed. It's relaxed me, if that makes any sense. Hmm. In a way that makes just dealing with the, 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 the creative process, dealing with the, the you know, the, the administrational side of it, whatever it is, it's just, I feel like relaxed. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of the core thing that came out of it.
0: Yeah, I love that. I really love that, like about, you know, problems are like actually signifiers of progress. And you can interpret them as like, you know, the sky's falling in. But actually, it's a sign that you're on the right track. And, you know, problems and challenges that, you know, are actually, you know, compliments in a way
1: completely. Like, let's say, you know, taking that scenario of not hearing back, you're actually in a position where someone really great wants to sign one of your records. That's a huge positive. Then like, okay, they're not responding or they're taking time, let's say to decide causes anxiety, but you've, you're actually in, in a really positive place because there's someone else who doesn't even have that, like that, that situation happening to them. Like they don't have an amazing person wanting to sign their track. So you're already, you're progressing. But then instead of creating the problem out of it, like, oh, I want this to happen badly, I want to finish this, I want to get it over the line, you're like, okay, look, it's happening. And this is really positive, and it's a really positive sign. It means my music's good. Whether they sign it or they don't sign it, I'm now on the radar. Whether You know, whatever happens, this is something to be proud of in its own right. So that's the shift, like, that mentally, like, has taken me a couple of years, and a lot of long walking in L.A., <laughs> <laughs> contemplating life to get to. But... That's the big change, and then okay. that translates to your music-making process because then you 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 feel better more of the time, and you make better music.
0: I love that. I love that because I feel like the vast majority of my work with NYT is talking people off the ledge in that moment, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, it's like, oh my god, like this DJ said he wants to sign my records, but I I, I haven't heard back from him in 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 a day.
1: <laughs> that's Like, I mean, <laughs> that's a classic one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: four hours. How come he hasn't decided yet? He's only got six
0: labels to run. <laughs> why is he not coming back to him? He's, He's only got... Yeah, exactly. The, the guy's only got, like, you know, six labels, two club events, and three kids. Fine. Like, you know... Funny. Exactly. Yeah, it's so funny, man. <laughs> and that, that's the thing. It's like, you know, and what I always say in those situations is like, yeah, you just got to give it time. Like, you know, and if, if it has been a long time, like, just follow up. Follow yeah. up. Be kind be polite be assertive and you know like be be a human being like don't be a dick basically
1: exactly 100 totally i'm when i do like follow-ups i make sure i'm just like super respectful and chill about it it's like hey listen like take your time like no worries like what you know just checking in if you're still interested very just very relaxed slow kind of just making that especially of our industry because it's a, it's an industry of creative people So creative people are not that they're, they're, they're not like a, you know how people like in investment banking who are still creative but you know they're very like intense everyone's responding to each other it's all intense in business the music industry is it's it's, it's not as intense like if people take their time to process a track to see if they like it to see if they want to sign it people take time because you're dealing with art essentially so One has to kind of notch back. It doesn't mean like be lazy or anything. It just means like change your expectations in terms of how the the industry is run and adapt to that. Mm. And that's how I, that's kind of what like has definitely been my new approach. And it's much more fun. I'm just, you know, I'm having more fun because of it and I'm seeing more happen because of it. Oh,
0: there's so much I can unpack from that. Like, first of all, like one of my favorite sayings is, Expectation is just pain that you book in advance. Yeah. So, like, why why have them? You know, in a way, you know, yeah. there's the difference between having an expectation and having like standards. Yeah. You know, does that that's a whole other conversation, but I love the fact that you've just layered it with like it's art, like it's not going to be a linear thing because art by its own nature is not linear. Like, the creation of it is not linear. The agreement to distribute that art cannot be expected to be linear either. This is not a straight up and down business transaction. It's not like you're buying a MacBook. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's something completely novel and unique unto itself. And that kind of wraps back into what we were saying about problems are compliments in disguise, right? Because it's that whole thing of, you know, I'm big into, like, Ryan Holiday and, and, like, the whole stoic thing that he does. And he talks about, like, one of the, na- the names of one of his books was The Obstacle is the Way. And it's yeah, like,
1: the the
0: yeah. yeah, it's like, like, there's no way around exactly. the problem. There's only a way through it. And actually, that is the the signifier of, like, once you get over this and on the other side of it, that that's, that's the point.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because I've, I've noticed that, especially in the music industry, and I think it's the same for more, like the creative industries like film, music, art. The like the when you're starting off, there's a lot of friction against you. It, it's like very uphill in terms of even getting anyone to respond. Like, let's just take demoing. Like when I first started demoing, like no one would even respond. No one knows who I am. Like, I don't have the email addresses. I'm having to like go find like the generic demo email. It, it, like there's a lot of rejection and a lot of friction which can be really kind of disconcerting because you like let's say spent the same amount of hours that someone who's super famous has on like a track you've put your heart into a, a, a track that let's say is amazing but then you can't get it out because you don't really there's like the gatekeepers there's no way to get to the right people that's when you the tr- like the people that break through persevere is they just keep pushing against that obstacle just constantly they just You push, you push, you push, you find like one other person who might be able to help you push through that. You just relentlessly push and it starts to ease up, you know, and then you have your first release and it's okay, great. I just, you know, I I managed to get here and then it's a slow game. It's a slow burn. So if you're freaking out over every problem, one's going to burn out really quickly. It's like, you have to enjoy that like challenge and almost make it like a video game. It's like a video game. It's fun. You're just having to find your way through it. I'm mm-hmm. You keep your mood while you're producing. Do it because you love it. You're producing because you love the music, even if it means I'm just sending it to my mate and they're like jamming on the track or whatever it is. And as you do that, stay, stay focused. It's like this weird balance. Be open, artistic, and stay focused at the same time. That balance to me is like how one starts to see some success in terms of Well, that's kind of how it worked for me, Mm -hmm. at least. But uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, especially in the early days, I find Mm -hmm. that's when there's a lot of friction and the obstacle is the way becomes really critical kind of philosophy to have.
0: Massive that we're unpacking this, you know, because it's such a common problem for people and and people kind of like give up before they get past all of that. Or, you know, they're, they're, they're in like, again, it's like the marathon analogy of, you know, you've run the 26 miles and you give up before the point two, yeah, because you didn't get an answer or it didn't go the way that you expected it to, you know what I mean? And it's like letting go of those expectations, like a lot of the time, allow things to manifest in a way that you didn't expect but were actually superior to what, like your little lizard brain came up with while you were scheming about it one day, you know what I mean? It's like, that's yep. been my journey. It's like...
1: What you just said now is, is literally like, probably the, the deepest sentence of all of life i mean it's so a hundred percent accurate it's like even they, they say like remove desire of what you want to get what you want you know it's the mm-hmm. same kind of thing and it always comes way in a way better way than you wanted it to in the way you imagined it, it just it turns out better if you let go of that like like needing the expectation wanting it because that, that desire is like a translation of lack it's like almost the same as lack because you're lacking it and you're wanting it it's when you let go of it it's like in social life so if you're relaxed and you want social life people uh they like you more when you're trying to be like needy or whatever people push away it's, it's exactly the same in in uh
0: in this mm-hmm. No, it's it's absolutely the same. It's absolutely the same. I love the trick that, like, your own mind or your ego, whatever you want to call it, plays on you, though, because I've done that, and I'm like, right, I'm letting go of the need to kind of achieve this, but I'm letting go of it because I actually want it far more than I'm actually, like, telling myself, so I'm almost, like, lying to myself, like, no, no, I'm letting go. Why are you letting go of it, Paul? Because I really fucking want it, and, like, that's what it said in the book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So true it's so true and it's that hard bit getting to the point of really letting it go yeah it's 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 on some stuff i get it especially when like really great stuff's potentially happening and it's all you've ever wanted and it's like just, just let it let it go
0: yeah totally and like that that's been totally my path like i it's all manifested for me in like very weird ways like the sasha thing for example was never something i'd even considered until i sat down with him in liverpool for a coffee and he's like i'm hearing i hear you're moving to la and i'm like i'm considerate and he's like well i'm moving to la why don't we get in the studio together i was like okay and it was a very weird situation that because i literally went it was about three that was about three weeks before i was due to go on the plane i booked a one-way ticket i was like i'm just gonna go out there and just see what's what and just shoot the shit and, you know, if it doesn't work out in a few months, I'll come back and I've had a good explore and, you know, made some contacts and stuff. And literally I went from just having a, fl- a one-way flight booked in, in, uh, well, in, about, in the space of about six hours one Friday, I went from nothing to having an, an apartment, a studio and an album to work on with a legend. Yeah. And like that, that unless you make space for that to happen... You know, I had all of these schemes and plans of, like, what I was going to do to get there. And actually, what what the way it all happened was, well, I went, well, I'm just going to book a one-way flight. I've got some money saved up. I'll figure it out. And then it just kind yeah. of almost arrived automatically, you know?
1: I had the same exact experience and completely agree with that. And it's when you give the space for it to actually happen and you're just a little bit more open about things and present with like life and not comp- like like stuck in the mind. And you let it, you know, you drop from that needing, expecting into the, into just letting things kind of go. People, the problem is when you try to explain that to people, sometimes they're like, oh, does it mean I should do nothing? And just kind of like, you know, I'm not gonna, like, I'm just gonna sit and wait for stuff to happen. And it's like, well, no, it's not that you sit and wait for stuff to happen. It's just, you're present and you're going with what's happening and it just becomes really kind of obvious the next step to take without thinking about 50 you know steps ahead you just you go with that flow and then it becomes really clear like what needs to be done
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like this you know it's like in the spiritual world it's like the balance of being and doing it's like you know i'm like being present and i'm doing i'm being present I'm doing. it's like it's that balance that which kind of exactly like you said it just all fell together in this beautiful way
0: Yeah, it's what uh, Dr. David Hawkins, who's become one of my favorite sort of spiritual authors and teachers, he calls it power versus force. And it's like everything we're talking about where we're just letting it happen is power, whereas like striving, grabbing for it, that lack that you were talking about before is all force, and if you think about it like you know there's another saying in sort of spiritual circles isn't it what whatever you resist persists and it's like the more you push against things the the less likely it is like it's actually the the world is going to start like almost like firming up against you if you know what i mean a little bit and like i um I I I'm big into yoga and stuff. Like I got qualified as a yoga teacher last year during all the lockdowns and stuff, which was which was interesting. And one of the things that teaches you is like, especially with the style of yoga that I do, with yin yoga, it's like you have to let go of all tension in the body because if you start pushing against your own body, your own body's gonna stiffen up and resist it and say, hang on a minute, no, these are my limits. But if you actually sort of softly push towards those limits and then learn to let go, you actually melt through them into a whole space that you didn't even know existed. It's
1: crazy that you mentioned David Hawkins because I love that guy and his book. um, Letting Go? uh, Letting Go. I'm literally
0: reading it right now. I've got it right there. It's
1: phenomenal. It's like there's one chapter, which is like chapter two, and just that one technique of like kind of just sitting with feelings and letting them go is so powerful. It's so powerful, but it's just, it's like anything. It's a habit. We're so used to resisting any feeling we have and just contracting against it. I don't want to feel like this as opposed to, like you said, with the yoga, going into it and letting it be fully actually will dissolve that feeling and will take you past it. And then it's it's a much better approach. that's super cool. I love that guy, David Hawkins.
0: Yeah, he's amazing. Like Sam from Chapter 24, like obviously me and him are still best friends, basically, like when we talk all the time and like we've been going through the David Hawkins books all, almost together and just mind blowing. Like, it's really funny, actually, because I, I, I said to Sam a while ago, so I bought the book because I got this real deep kind of like resonance of like, I need to read this book. Like I ordered the book and sat on my shelf for two months. And it was like my mind slash ego was almost like resisting reading the book because it knew there was like a very potent, very important lesson or set of lessons in that book. And again, like kind of worked with that and just started gently, almost like reading just a page a day of it. And honestly, like that book is just, it's life-changing. And it's been a really like, it's been a really great reminder for me a lot because I mean I've done a I've just done a tremendous amount of work on myself in the last sort of few years since coming back from LA sort of quite burnt out and you know that's taken me into like the plant medicine realm and you know psychedelics and you know really interesting sort of ceremonial kind of like settings that's allowed me to do just a tremendous amount of work on myself in a very short space of time so, you know, letting go is huge for me because it just allowed me to kind of integrate a lot of that in a much more pragmatic kind of way. I love how practical that book is. You know, it almost just gives you a map of like, okay, well, how am I feeling? I'm feeling quite apathetic towards something. All right, I'm right at the bottom of the pit of like the, the, the ladder here. Right, okay, well, at least if I feel angry, at least like I've got something to work with. Okay, and I'm actually moving through up the different levels to like you know where it, where I it can be. It just it brings so much awareness of like almost like a workflow for spiritual states in a weird way.
1: It's totally, I, for me, honestly, if someone was to say what's the one book you'd recommend on like a, on, from the spiritual books, I would actually probably say letting the letting go one because of the clarity, because it provides that technique that. You know, people like on un- Michael Singer, Untethered Soul, and Eckhart, they, they're all saying the same thing to like a, you know, it's all pretty much the same message, but this one is very much like an app. Like it's, you can apply that technique, as you said, and it's like the map of how you feel. I, I mean, I did that technique for, I just told myself, I'm going to do it like one year straight, where whatever I feel that's negative, whatever kind of feelings are going through my body, I'm going to stay with them forget about the story in my mind, just stay with the, the pure feeling itself and like let go of that feeling. I like, I, I, I swear, I literally like 80% of all my past, like issues just melted over mm-hmm. that period of time. But it takes time to get into doing it. Like you said, like there's a resistance, It's like going to the gym for the first, having not gone to the gym for like 10 years and you go back to the gym, it's extremely difficult to get back into it. It's kind of similar with this. It's like, we're so used to avoiding our feelings. So, like, there's a big resistance to facing the feelings. But once you face the feelings, it's it's so empowering. And you lose the fear of fear, essentially.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's all that, you know, the sort of hyper-trendy sort of, you know, plant medicine world. Although it's funny to call it hyper-trendy considering the fact that we've been doing this for thousands of years. You know, that's all it is like. It's just... All those, those experiences have done for me is put me in a position where I have to deal with it. Like, I can't run because there's nowhere to go. And the, the sort of the, the plant teacher that I'm working with is very much of an attitude of, no, no, you're going to sit here and you're going to sort this out because you ain't going any further forward until this happens. Yeah. You know, and it's like that stare. Yeah, like everybody needs like a stern but loving voice of truth. Every now and then, everybody needs, like, a loving kick up the arse. You know, as we would say in Liverpool, that's a very Liverpool thing. It's like, I'm giving you the kick up the arse because I fucking love you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's I- it's so funny, man. So cool that you're into all that, man. Like, it's, it's funny because, again, like, the, the, this is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast because it's like we've met, we've worked together, we, you know, we did a couple of releases and stuff like that. We played at a party. It's like, I'm never going to get this out of you. Like, standing in a DJ booth in the Star of Kings in King's Cross. Like,
1: yeah, totally. Maybe like a few tequilas in, I'll just, start, I'll just start bringing up David Hawkins. But yeah. Different
0: kind of spirits, my friend. Different kind of spirits.
1: Different kind of spirit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah maybe maybe we should uh maybe we should eat the worm and then see where it goes like yeah <laughs> yeah exactly or, or lick a couple of toads and see what happens as well you know um but there you go but there you go amazing so like all of that is so relevant to studio work as well because i i found years ago i've been doing yoga now for nearly nine years and i found like when i really got hardcore into yoga like i was so much more creative and so much more in flow so to speak and obviously, like you know, working on this kind of thing, more on the spiritual side of things, has helped massively with that as well. Because, like, what is art other than an expression of your own spirit, essentially? Um, so, yeah, it's it's super interesting to kind of like integrate that into like a studio workflow as well. I mean, have you felt that as well? Like, the more clarity you had spiritually, the more you had creatively as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it, it, it really it's like the less mind based production I'm doing when I say mind based. It's, it's, you know, I was using the word feeling, but it's just when, when I'm more in like a flow and I'm feeling open and present, the music comes out in a way where it's much more, it's translating a feeling. And it's like all the good, like, like, I go back to Peshanga Boy's time. Like, why do I love that song so much? Because it's translating a feeling. I listen to it and it takes me somewhere nostalgic. It takes me somewhere otherworldly. Like why is it because of the chords they're using? Well, other people use those chords or those progressions or those sounds as well and it, you don't get that. It's whatever they've done to make that magic. For me, that's that's the recipe for the magic. It's not what plugin you have or what hardware you're using or anything like that. Because I've no, I've seen time and time again, if I'm working on something and it's just not working, I mean, from a feeling perspective, I could layer it with more stuff and try and make it more clubby sounding or whatever. It's just still not going to, it's just, it's not going to work.
0: Hmm.
1: It's like the essence of the track needs to feel right. And then really actually the rest just, then you can become a little bit more. For me, I become a little bit more, okay, technical in terms of, okay, how do I want to structure this track? And like, but I know that the magic and the essence is there and you take that and then you, you know, you just, you structure it how you want to structure it.
0: Yeah, from totally. a
1: position standpoint,
0: you're totally right on the plugins and stuff because, yeah, we, we always love a good geek off about like what plugins we're using and everything else. But you know, as you say, like that's not where it comes from. Because if it was, you would have like you know, Michelangelo, like when he's painting the Sistine Chapel, saying, Oh, yeah, it's this particular style of oil paint I'm using, man. It's just you know, you, you would never say that. Like the guy's literally channeling God while he's up there painting the fucking ceiling. Do you know what I mean?
1: and you'll like I know this is crazy but like I literally have come to a point where I I just I produce now with just Omnisphere the plugin like you know Omnisphere like the like it's the, such a powerful like plugin and it has all the kind of sounds that make up what I like what I like to make I just don't use anything else because I know how to use it really well like I just go I, I just it's I know what sounds I like so I've like reduced my like my uh, my um you know, like what I use to like a really few things. And I've found it, it just, it's so much easier. Like when I walk into a studio of a friend and they've got like 50 different like synths and it's like all this shit happening and everything. I'm like, do you even use all of this stuff? Like, and, and how do you decide? And just that time of just thinking, is it, you know, am I using the Moog for this? Am I using this for this? Like, I couldn't do that. It would just cause me anxiety And as it's, it's opposed to just knowing like, I'm going to use this really well i know like what sounds it produces i know it it's flexible enough to give me what i need and if it's not flexible enough fine i'll go and find a solution i'll go record something live or whatever it is or tr- try something else out but it, it, it stops the technical stuff getting in the way of the creativity when you have less i find
0: yeah absolutely and, and with like- and with omnisphere in particular it's, it's such a desert island plugin, in isn't it it's like you know you you was you, you don't need anything else cuz it can literally it's hard, it's easier to talk about what it can't do than what it can right
1: uh, yeah and i know look, it sounds like i, I tell that to my friends who are like really like they're really into hardware and they're like really against using anything but hardware and i'm just like look play me like one of your hardware things and i'll just do the same thing in Omnisphere. friend it's like you, you don't really hear the difference i get it i'm 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 not saying i'm not against hardware like I'm all for it. It's cool. I love the way it looks and feels and it's great, but I've just become really reductive with everything when it comes to music. Like in terms of even though in the composition, my compositions are more reductive. Like for me, that last 20% in in producing a track is what can I remove from this? that doesn't really add anything. Like if it's not adding anything, remove it. Like that Mm -hmm. is how I see it and create more like in the mix.
0: Absolutely. I, I love that as well, because that's very sort of similar to my sort of approach as well, which was like, you know, for want of a better expression, like my approach has always been, let's throw as much shit at the wall as possible, see what sticks, and then a process of refinement, subtraction, you know, bring it down to what those elements are. Like we, like I talk, I've just done, like in the last couple of months, like two-part sort of like melody writing masterclass in our music theory course, and, like, the one big thing that I taught was right, okay, write a melody. Here's how you write your melody. Here's the, here's the scale. Here's how you do it, blah, 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 blah. Right. Now let's get rid of half the notes. Yeah. And, oh, look, we're in exactly the same place. And, in fact, we're probably in a more powerful place because we've now got more space to do other things. And it comes back to, I think it was, was it Duke Ellington who said that? Or one of the, or John Coltrane, one of those legendary jazz musicians who said, like, it's it's where you don't play the notes, that's where the music happens. Like it's in the spaces between, that's where the real power is. And that's so, so true.
1: So true. So true. And that's actually funny when it comes to the you know, you mentioned the classical composition, for example, or if I'm sitting with like a pianist sometimes, with like my sister, for example, like she's um classically trained uh, pianist. But it's with the music we make that reduction is really important. And it's almost like the, the, each layer needs to be really simple. So sometimes it's like, I see my sister playing, like she's like going all, loads of different things. And it's like, you know, just playing the keyboard like in this really complex way. And I always tell her like that, will, like in, in dance, like for the music we're making at least, like in Deep House, it doesn't work. You have to almost strip it to really simple melodies, like a simple arp simple bass line, like very simple chords and the way those things come together is where you get that kind of magic, mm. especially from that, that music that like for the music that people want to like dance to and vibe to. Um,
0: yeah. There has to be that sense of space, right? That sense of like allowing people to breathe and yeah. be able to almost like enter into the music. In a weird way, it's like that's... I find a lot of like, you know, and this is probably old man Nolan talking here a little bit, but I find a lot of like the really big techno stuff, I find it quite oppressive because there's no like, there's no entry point for me where I can kind of like really immerse myself and be able to kind of get into it. And, you know, my tastes in harder techno have become ever more and more and more minimal because of that, because there's kind of like a... There's no space for nuance. Do you know what I mean? There's no space for, you know, the smallest change having like the biggest, most dramatic effect. Um, which again is like, is no sort of slice. It's it's a it's a perfectly good style, and I've enjoyed a lot of it. But you know, for me, in terms of what it speaks to in my soul, a little bit, like it, it's it's tough. Like because there's no, like we were saying, there's there's no. Sort of space, and therefore it becomes more about functionality rather than form.
1: Yeah, definitely. For for you now, what's kind of the in the dance industry that is, and electronic music? What's your kind of favorite style at the moment?
0: I mean, I'm loving all the organic stuff to be honest. Um, I've been I've I've been loving that for years. Ever since sort of Lee kind of became the big champion of that whole thing, I think there's just there's still so much untapped potential. In it, because of the fact that again, it gives space to allow, you know, lots of different instruments, lots of different aspects, backgrounds, cultures, etc. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I had a guy on who made has made one of the best contact libraries I've heard in ages, and it's like traditional Amazonian tribes playing their traditional instruments that they've all made by hand, and he actually went into the jungle and recorded it himself. And what's lovely about it is it's like, it's like an organic... It's like an all-day-I-dream producer's wet dream, this contact instrument. And 30% of every sale goes back to the tribe. So it's like, not only are you making amazing music with this thing, you are actually doing something amazing for them and for the world by making your music. And I think that's a beautiful way forward. So there's a lot of these lovely sort of projects in that space that I love. I am loving the resurgence of Breakbeat at the moment absolutely adoring it I was a big prog breaks guy back in the day sort of like you know 2000 2001 that type of area the whole Aussie break scene I was so so massively into that so it's really hugely refreshing to hear that kind of coming back after so many years of it just being sort of relentless non-stop 4-4 it's nice to hear some sort of you know really interesting you know experimentations going on in that in that case but what's really exciting me now is like that all of these genres are starting to kind of mix a little bit you know there's a lot of techno i've heard that is starting to use like organic sound sources like acoustic sound sources in really interesting ways like one of the things i've always been into i am like the world's biggest trent moller fan And he's been like one of my musical heroes from before I started to learn how to produce. What I loved about what he did or what he does to this day is there's this juxtaposition, this very stark contrast of really starkly electronic and really blatantly acoustic. And putting the two together, I think that's really exciting. And I'm starting to hear that more and more. I don't know about you. What are you into at the moment?
1: I Agree with you for me the organic definitely and the potential of organic house for sure I mean, I, I sometimes do worry in that genre when I go on like beatport for example where people are kind of just fitting in that Very specific organic house sound that you know, that's the main kind of vibe and not moving away from it What I'm trying to do is that kind of vibe because it's just naturally what the kind of music I make is a little bit more down-tempo organic but seeing how I can shift it into other genres and do something a little bit different and like unique with it um you know I have a track now that I don't even know where to send it to be honest but it's like has all the kind of feelings of an organic house track but then like a very almost pop vocal with it it's like a commercial track but it's not a commercial track it's deep but it's not deep it's, it's very hard to pinpoint what it is um and I, I, I definitely, as much as it's frustrating in terms of where do I send this, and it's like you know how do I release this, it is always good to get to that point where you kind of don't even know what the track is. It's, mm. it's a it's a great uh, place to be, I find. So I, I always, agree.
0: With- I just think it's a signpost that you've got something special because it's probably going to transcend genre a little bit and sit across a lot of different things, you know. So it's it's very very interesting. Like you know, it's it's. Uh, Yeah, it makes you wonder whether or not these pigeonholes we give music are that sort of functional anymore. Like, I only call it Organic House because that is the title bestowed upon it by Beatport. It's just a convenient shorthand for that whole scene, you know? And it runs the whole gamut from, like, the tougher, more bouncy end of things, like a Sebastian Ledger, for example, like, right the way through to, like, Powell, who's, like, you know, I've heard some of his tracks and it's, like, drums are so light in that thing. It doesn't sound like they're even there half the time. They're almost like a an ambient track with a bit of patter in the background and, and it works phenomenally well for what he's trying to achieve, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's so, it's very, the whole genre thing is, is really, it's it's too boxy for sure. I mean, when, when I'm always asked by a label, like what genre should we, we're thinking of putting this in like Melodic House or Deep House, I'm like, I, like honestly, I really don't know because it's not, it, it, I'm not sure what it is. But that's definitely... And that's a very interesting topic as a whole. It's like, what it, what is, you know, you can make so much. There's so much variation in what you can do from a production standpoint nowadays. That it's like, what is what, and like, what's acceptable to play out in a DJ set? What's, what's uh, meant for this? Meant for that? It's very interesting.
0: And the titles themselves, are, we act like they. are solid like they're these very static very definitive like absolutely like line in the sand this is what this is and they're not either like even the genres themselves what they're considered to be is very very fluid you know what's considered to be techno now would have been considered like you know tough tribal house 10-15 years ago you know this and again you've only got to look at like sort of the 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 inadvertent bastardization of progressive house by the more sort of EDM style producers over like 2010 to like sort of 2015 2016 like to know and also as well I watched a really interesting video the other day about um it was on Resident Advisors YouTube channel and it it wasn't called this but the spirit of the video is like what the fuck happened to tech House, basically yeah. like because it's not it's not what it's not now what it was. Back then, like, I mean, I was buying, I was buying large, for my record shop, I was buying large quantities from Swag Records and, you know, Teddy Francis stuff and all that kind of thing. Like, that's Tech House to me. And it's like, well, what Tech House is considered now is, it couldn't be further removed from what that was, you know?
1: Yeah, it's so, it's so true. Like, the, it's just, and what, yeah, what Tech House is for you with someone else, Tech House is a completely different I mean, it's almost like when people ask what music do you like? I don't know how to answer anymore it's because it's you, know, <laughs> you don't. What's Deep House? I mean, even what's Deep House today, but it it's to kind of become more like on Beatport, at least it feels like it's become more of like that disco, deeper, classic sounding house. Whereas I would have probably said that all my music was Deep House a few years ago, mm.
0: whereas
1: now it would be listed as Organic House
0: yeah exactly so it's like and in five years time it's probably going to be unrecognizable all over again right it's just not gonna it's not gonna stand still that's part of the reason why we love it but you know i think all we can we we, we take these things far too seriously i think you know about what it is and we need to find out what that is and give it a label therefore it becomes a thing that then becomes like marketable and it's like you know it's it's the whole thing of, like, I've seen I've seen Progressive House come back from the dead maybe four times in my time, do you know what I mean? And have its moment and then disappear again, and then it's, like, not the done thing, and then, you know, it's back three years later. And the only thing that those things have all got in common is that Henan Cataneo's gone nowhere, and he's not changed his sound, and he's just done his thing, and the Jesus of Prague rises once again, you know what I mean?
1: So true. That's great.
0: Yeah, I can say that with all the love in the world for Hernan, because I absolutely adore the man. Like he's 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 been such a he, he is. I personally think he's one of the nicest men currently walking the face of the earth. Like he's amazing, so supportive and so passionate.
1: Yeah, he's great.
0: Yeah, he's really cool. So apart from on this sphere, then, uh, you know, what is the what uh, what what's, what's the the workflow at the moment for you? Like what's the, what's the rig? Are you uh, an Ableton guy? Are you uh, a logic guy? What's the DAW of choice?
1: Logic. Always yeah. been logic. I've, it's because for, for me, the, I find with Ableton like that, you know, there's that, the view where you're not arranging, like you're just kind of creating sound. Session
0: view, yeah. Session
1: view, yeah. It's cool. I, I get, I get the the pros of it, but I like to kind of just be quickly arranging while composing and the composition part for me comes the most easily so i find logic is a lot easier to kind of just move things around and get to an arrangement more quickly it's I, I find it's a better system to finish tracks like i find the arrange in ableton very hard to use and i've tried to use ableton and i just i'm so slow on it compared to logic but yeah. that's just because i've used logic all my life so yeah it's and making music.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you were really happy with Logic's recent attempts at making it more like Ableton as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I just don't even... Like, I don't even go there. Like, it's... Well, just kind of...
0: Whisper it quietly. Um, I actually... Yeah. Like, their version of, like, what Ableton does, that session view, what they call the live loops view, I actually think it's better than than Ableton. Yeah. It is, because it's, it's, like, the Ableton thing's very top-down. You're like an old mod tracker. Yeah. Whereas... Logics is like how you would arrange a track. It's like it's from left to right, so it makes perfect sense for me. And I literally, in order to completely equalize my workflow, because I'm a bit of a door whore, like I'm across Logic, Cubase, Ableton, you name it. Like I I use them like liberally if it's the right thing for the job, Pro Tools, whatever. Like I I literally bought one of these, you know, these little um, uh, launchpad minis. Yeah. So that like yes. literally works like a push controller for Logic. So it's like I just plug that in, and it's basically it's the same thing. Do you know what I mean?
1: Amazing. For you, if you're when you're composing, what's are you like? Do you go to Ableton for that?
0: Um, or... Yeah. I mean, I love like some of the. I mean, it's a shame. This brings me on to one of my other pet topics: is the uh, the the almost complete unusability of Ableton Live 11. Like it's it's a disgrace that what what's happened with that. It's like it's been unusable for me since it came out. It's been terrible, but the the new the new um, more compositional tools are absolutely fantastic. Like they're absolutely brilliant. The way you can like actually fold the piano roll into a particular scale that you're working in is worth the upgrade for that alone. And you can do scale quantize and many many other tricks in Logic. Like I know Logic really well too like logic is at, like if if ableton is my right hand then logic's my left hand basically um but it, it just depends like you know it, it really depends on what i'm trying to do um and i i will use different daws to i suppose it's it's the same thing as what i was saying about you know changing your environment in order to kind of like refresh and get a little bit more inspiration like, sometimes I'll find, like, I'm a bit sick of Ableton. I'll go into Cubase, and I'm, I'm loving Cubase 11 at the moment. I think there's there's so much good stuff in there. Uh, it's such an underrated DAW because it's so dense, and it's so capable, but it's, there's a bit of a learning curve to it. But if you're, like, an uber-power user, like, it is just, it's unreal what that thing is capable of. And, you know, Logic, again, I've been using Logic since 2006. So I know it very well like my first version of logic was, was like logic 7 uh back when you still yeah, needed cool. the the dongle to make it work you know in the in the USB hub like but yeah I I love I love them all for very very different reasons you know they they're all very capable they all roughly do the same thing it's just depends what kind of language you want to speak at one moment really
1: Yeah t- for me I just always found that it's just cuz again I'm not like I don't, I don't, I, I don't like the very technical. Like I find Ableton is still, you have to really kind of fiddle with it to arrange something. And Logic, I'm just dragging away. Just audio is easier to kind of edit. Uh, but that just that could be just because I've just used it for so long, and I'm just, I'm very one one focused with what I do. I just don't. Once I like something, I'd rather just stay with that. So I I, I always struggled especially that everyone I collaborate with is using Ableton. So now we typically, if I'm doing a collaboration session with someone, um, the other day I actually downloaded the software from Mixed and Key, they have like a collaboration software. Mm. And it's pretty solid, like I'm kind of against those softwares because I feel like it's just a nuisance and it's better just to be in the same room. But this is pretty good, like you could just sync up, you know, the two doors and you're good to go and and, and to just kind of experiment with ideas. But yeah, I've I've always, everyone, all my Ableton friends are joking because it's like you're so pro logic. Like you should work for them or something because logic and omnisphere are the two things you just don't, you just swear by basically.
0: Oh, absolutely. But I've got to say, to this day, the undisputed king of not only like value for money, considering what they did with the price of logic, but the synths you still get with logic to this day. It's like, Sculpture is still one of my favorite synths because there's just quite literally nothing else like it that I've yeah. seen ever since, and that thing has been not touched in any way since like I started using it in like two thousand and six. And you can get sounds out of this thing that no other synth around, whether hardware or software, can do. You know the the stock plugins that you get with Logic for me really? are still far and away superior than any other DAW. Um, and you know, and and there's things that I mean because my workflow for the longest time has been composition and actually like writing the track in Ableton, and then I'll mix the thing down in Logic. Um, because I love.
1: Yeah, because it also it shows the kind of arrangement view of Logic is so solid. It's so it's so mm. good in terms of just kind of getting a nice arrangement together. Um. Mm. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely, and for me, it's like I love the. I love, I mean, I'm an old school mixer in a way, like when I mix tracks, I like I don't like spectrum analyzers. I don't like visual input. Um, yeah. I've learned over many, many years of ear training to like really, really trust my ears and yeah. not like, you know, uh, let my sense of sight override what my ears are trying to tell me. Uh, so I love, like, the mix of you like, in, in Logic. And a lot of the time I'll be mixing with just that window, like, and nothing else open. And even the plugins that I use to mix, like, it's mostly third-party stuff, but there's no, like, spectrum analyzers by and large. There's It's all just emulations of analog gear, and all they do is, like, have a red light that just flashes when it's over overdriving, and that's about it, you know? Like, that's kind of my workflow. I like to recreate, like, an analog like recording chain in the box like that's kind of like my big thing and um, I'm finding increasingly I'm mixing more of my tracks in Cubase as well because I love the workflow of that and with the fact that I'm kind of I've obviously I've been in that LA film music scene for a while now it's like a lot a lot of the big guys are using Cubase so it makes it like from a collaborative standpoint you know if i have to work with you know like i've done in the past with the likes of a junkie xl or someone like that you know he's a big base head it's just easy to kind of pass sessions to and from so you know there's, there's there's nothing wrong with any of them you know it's it's just about what works for you and i i go through as i say i go through phases where it's like it's one like i went through a phase where i all but stopped using ableton for a good while and then i went through a phase where i all but stopped using logic and then another phase where all I wanted to use was logic. You know, it just depends on what works for you at that moment.
1: I'm very interested in by the Ableton, like kind of building live sets in terms of performance wise, what it could do. Cause it's not something I've ever done, but I would love, love to slowly move into that a little bit. The thing is I just find it's one of those places where if you go into it, you really have to go into it to, mm. to, to do it well. Um, but because I love improvising a lot and everything I make, it comes from like just being highly improvisational. I would love to take my DJing to a more kind of live performance side. And from that, what I hear from that side, Ableton's, you know,
0: oh, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. Well, you think about it, right? I mean, everything that you've spoken about when it comes to Ableton, like what did Ableton actually start out life as it was a live looping tool it was actually built to be a live performance rig that's almost like you know reverse geared itself into being it reverse engineered itself into being a daw like that's that's the truth of it you know like i remember like my first version of ableton was live 3 like that's how far back i go with ableton and you couldn't even load mp3s into the thing like, it was WAV only, there was no predictive warping, you had to do everything yourself, and it was tough. Like, But once you got it into a position, you could do some wild stuff with it that no other DAW could do. And it yeah. did definitely change the game in that front. So, you know, I, think, I still think of it primarily as a performance tool that has DAW capabilities, whereas Logic, Cubase, all the rest that we've mentioned are you know far more sort of like the traditionalists kind of thing it's like those guys have been there for a long time they've done largely the same thing for number, for you know decades basically and they're very very good at what they do if you're a a straight up producer so it's funny you mention about the live stuff as well cuz like we recently launched a course with a great uh, young dutch kid called Holt, and he does live performance so he literally does he did a course for us where he writes a track from scratch and then shows you how he plays it live. So that okay. might be that might be something you might be interested in have, having a look at actually, because it's it, it's great. But he takes it another stage further because he built his own controller. Like okay, well. so imagine like basically like like a younger Stefan Bodson with hair. <laughs> basically, younger Stefan Bodzin with hair and better. Basically that's what HALT is basically to us. So yeah, he, he was doing crazy stuff. Like he was ripping apart, like is this controller that he built, he ripped apart like two APC 40s and an, a- an AKI keyboard and then put it into a custom box and made it all talk to each other. And now he can do like complete live performances and hybrid DJ sets. And he doesn't even have to look at his laptop. And the next version of this controller that he's building will be able to control the fucking lights in a club. Wow. Like, you'll be able to do everything. Like, you know, I joked, I joked, I said, you know, remember those um those buttons you used to see in 80s movies where there was a little glass box around it? It's like, would you have one of those yeah. for the smoke machine that you have to flip it up and then, like, flick it, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. But uh, that's where the Tedden do. The Tedden in this really interesting hybrid direction of, like, live and DJing and it becoming kind of something else, basically
1: that's that, that that's been on my mind and that's what's interesting about it because it's, it starts to become about how do you like building a setup that allows you to kind of merge production and live together in that way and be able to, to do that, which is a, is the opposite of my production approach, which is like super lean and super like focused, but it's something I feel from a performance side would be invaluable to, to do that, to, to start to move in that direction. And, um, and have that capability.
0: Oh yeah, sure. 100%. I mean, like haven't seen like Jeff Holt play a few times live and seen a few other artists doing it over the last few years. Uh like I've, I've spoken about this a couple of times, but back in like 20 sort of 16, I opened for Max Cooper in Belfast and I turned up with me pair of headphones and me little USB stick thinking I was the shit. And then Max turns up with two laptops. A whole host of controllers and he's controlling the audio and the visuals at once and if he wanted to he could probably do it in five point once around at the same time and i felt very silly that night and came away from it thinking i've got to fucking up my game here like this is just, like i'm like i've just seen the future you know and and lo and behold like that's the direction that it's all kind of heading in really you know like i've been saying for a while now that i think playing rec- other people's records one after the other is possibly living something of a charmed life at the moment and three to five years we will look back at it and go oh look he's playing one record after another cute yeah
1: Yeah, definitely it's really interesting because i like i like i love the idea of both in a sense if you can play the classic dj set in a way that's just you know it's, it's you know if you do it in a good way and you really make people dance and you take people on a great journey and it's great And it's different because you're getting maybe like a wider range, you have a wider range of like the sound possibilities, because probably if you're kind of coming in with, you know, a more kind of production based live set, it's going to be very focused to your sound, you know, so it might be very melodic techno or very, you know, whatever it might be. So that's the only thing is I, I love such a wide range of music. So I do love the idea of like a classic DJ set where I, you know, in the middle of the night I can drop some disco in whatever it might be. But I also love the idea of almost producing live and having a live set where it's like all my own stuff. It's, it's all original. It's like my own tracks deconstructed and brought back in different ways. I mean, they're both really exciting ideas mm. in terms of. How, how one performs
0: well that's it i think that, i think it's it's all going to find an audience and i think it's all going to find a space ultimately so you know it's it's just yet another sort of exciting development of you know tethering that towards things like you know audio visual stuff um i do a lot of work on the on the immersive audio side as well like i've been deep into like research and development with that for a while now where you know really bringing like surround sound into the club's feel like properly like for real and in a way that will give the artist like ultimate control over what people hear and just creating far more immersive and far more kind of emotional experiences for people in the club and all the way up to like festival size situations you know it's all it's all doable so you know we're heading into one of those kind of like points of inflection where several technologies are going to come together and like over the next three to five years like shit's gonna get wild like we're gonna pinch ourselves in a few years and think look how far we've come in just the last few years and I think the end of the pandemic will provide a huge push a huge forward momentum and a huge catalyst for a lot of that change
1: yeah definitely And i also think that kind of comes into i mean i'm very interested in immersive experiences from from like the art perspective like Mm -hmm. you know just from my life going to art galleries i'm always underwhelmed by like the immersive exhibitions i mean there's a few that are really cool and people that do cool stuff like 180 strand like vinyl factory here in london have done some great great stuff but in general I love the idea of, like, allowing people to enter an experience that's it's not like a, you know, it's not a party, but it's something to do with how you bring music and visuals together in an immersive environment to create, like, a unique experience. Um, and I also think that's another side from the art world that's going to be like the future, as opposed to just looking at, like, a painting on a wall, which is still great and amazing. You have these kind of full-blown immersive experiences that take people into like a different world and i see that a lot of the nfts because a lot of the nfts that do really well are like these otherworldly kind of visuals where you look at it it's like some alien on a different planet or something so it's doing that kind of Trans- transporting someone, but in a physical space, and that's where all of the kind of, as you said, surround sound stuff could be really interesting.
0: Mm. No, it really is. I mean, there's, and there's a huge amount already going on in that space as well. You know, because as I say, I work a lot with D&B Audio on that because their sound systems are just unbelievable, and you know, their soundscape systems. I've been working with them now for you know two, two and a half years now, and they're they're just unbelievably flexible. You know, when you consider that they were the sound systems that powered Kraftwerk's 3D tour and Bjork's last tour before the pandemic as well. You know, you get an idea of, like, just how capable these things are. And, you know, it's been a massive privilege and and a a project of a lifetime, really, to be involved to adapt it to the club space and help, like, you know, hopefully kind of redefine what artists are going to be able to do and And how it's gonna create really quite but you think about those experiences right that we've that we've had on dance floors that those moments that have shaped us or like changed our lives a little bit in some way like you know to provide the means to do that in a much more immersive and a much more meaningful way is has been a real privilege actually, and you know it's something I can't wait to get back to once things normalize a little more
1: definitely definitely
0: that's super interesting yeah yeah man so what's the uh what's the what's the future looking like for you then mate in terms of like releases and stuff what have you got coming down the pipe because it sounds like you got quite a lot of uh a lot of uh rounds in the chamber so to speak ready to ready to pull the trigger
1: definitely i mean i have a few things with when we dip's which I, I really love them as a label. They just have great branding, and they're very organized. Yeah,
0: they're it's great. Brilliant. I love them and the guys there. I'm big fans of them. They've been helping me out for a long time, and I, I've been releasing on XYZ as well.
1: They're really great. It's I, I, I like their approach. Um, and then uh, Tail and Tone will be a great release. Uh, Hodge and LeBarge's label. Very organic house vibes uh, that track is. And then, uh, yeah, I've got a lot. I I just really spent the whole lockdown just kind of pumping tracks out. So I'm slowly just seeing which ones should go out, maybe where to release them. Mm. Um, and it's been nice to kind of just take it slow again and not like rush to kind of just push the music out, but really take the time and sit with the track for a while, like even listen to it a month later and see, I'm feeling about it it's, it's it's been a slower more creative process that I'm, I'm enjoying
0: yeah i love that i love that and i think it's it's also an important thing that you know I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people now things seem to be taking a turn for the better and there seems to be some events coming back and a lot of people getting into that rush thing as well of like oh no i've been sat on my ass for the last year and i need to get loads of music ready for when the clubs reopen and stuff it's like dude you, you've got time like you've got time like it's it's still gonna be there you know it's like ironically like the club shut for a year and it still didn't go away so i think you know you've got all the time in the world basically
1: yeah definitely
0: no dude this has been a real pleasure this has been a treat my friend it's been amazing to catch up with you also to get to know you that bit better you know
1: likewise likewise no it's, it's great that we got to catch up and um we just, when you're in London next, let's or in LA, we'll see where we, we meet next.
0: But. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll be what we'll be we'll be that pair of wankers that decide which side of the Atlantic to meet up. At. <laughs> 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 mate, well, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, in the near future, or you know, in in times, uh, we'll be able to do this in person. We'll get another episode then when the time's right. Perfect,
1: great. Thanks so much. Thanks no for having me, mate.
0: And you, man. Thanks very much. Yep, yep. I told you so, didn't I? What a conversation, what a lovely, lovely period of time to, you know, sit and really talk to Rashid and get some insights from him. He's a deeply intelligent, interesting, creative, thoughtful, artistic soul and, you know, someone who even just through the course of having this conversation, I've come to, respect and admire greatly for his approach his outlook on music production how it really is all about the love of the process and he makes music to enjoy it and he makes music because he wants to not because he feels like he needs to attain or acquire a certain a certain how can we put it a certain status is the word i'm looking for so yeah, I mean, an amazing, an amazing show today. And um, I love these conversations because they really jump up and surprise you and they arrive at the most unexpected unexpected of moments. So yeah, thank you very much for listening today. If you like what you hear, then please do consider subscribing. It does make a massive difference. We are growing this thing from nothing. And we are throwing everything at it. Amazing amounts of free content coming through the podcast. And we've got some really nice plans for several aspects of the podcast. We may well be throwing some DJ mixes in there. Some interviews with our AAA members who are doing incredibly well at the moment. We may do audio versions of some of our master classes so you can kind of follow along in the car. I know a lot of people like to listen to our tutorials and production courses in the car, actually, or without a screen, which seems a bit strange, but it works. So if you're interested in what we're doing here as well, then please do head over to www.transition.studio. That's where you can find all of our courses. We do a AAA subscription for £39 a month and we do occasional 50% sales on longer memberships, like six months, 12 months, that kind of thing. And on top of that, we do sell our courses individually. Now, Uh, our organic house course seems to be very, very popular at the moment, as well as our signature artist courses with Bushwhacker teaching Remix Mastery and Halt teaching live performance, which going by the conversation with Rashid earlier in this episode and in other episodes, is set to become a really big trend in the future. So, future-proof yourself with NYT. We're here to get you ready for when all this nonsense with viruses seems to blow over eventually, which it will. In the words of the great Tom Hanks, who didn't say this, but I'm channeling him, he said, well, this too shall pass, and everything shall pass. So, on that profound note, I'm gonna leave you to it. Next episode, got another wicked artist Mr Braxton is going to be joining us. I'm looking forward to recording that podcast a couple of days after I'm recording this right here. So keep it tuned in here to NYT Beyond the Studio. We've got plenty more coming. We may well be in the midst of starting a second podcast as well. We are looking into that at the moment. We've got some ideas about a slightly different format, maybe even a slightly different host. You never know. So look, just take care of yourself. And I am going to go off for a big stretch. I'm going to do some yoga. I'm going to relax. So you enjoy the rest of the week. And I'll see you next week. Much love. Stay safe and stay sound.